and we're in Beirut for another daily episode of the Beirut Banyan. And we're joined today by Ishaq Diwan. Uh, Ishaq was supposed to be in Beirut on Friday for a planned conference, and it was canceled. So instead, we did this interview over Skype. And we reflect on crony capitalism, on the economic consequences of years and decades of mismanagement and severe corruption, and all the problems that will emerge when it comes to restructuring the Lebanese economy and, in a sense, reforming the Lebanese state. Ishaq has worked at the World Bank. Uh, He's taught at Harvard, at Columbia, and he's currently based in Paris, uh, lecturing at the University of Paris. Before we get to the interview, if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider a contribution through Patreon. There is a link in the details box below, or visit our website, BeirutBanyan.com, and click on the Patreon button there. Any contribution is well appreciated. This is an independent endeavor. For episode 21, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. watching events unfold in downtown. You're in Paris, I'm in Beirut. Uh, the, the clashes that erupted in Riyadh Salah and uh, all the coverage. Can I, wh- what is your initial reaction to what is happening right now? You know, I mean, there's no need to, to summarize what has happened so far, but, but you know, one has to start by, by saying that since October 17, we've really seen the revolution happening in the sense of uh, you know the people claiming and the different identity and becoming wanting to become something else and expressing very strongly their, their grievances against the whole system that didn't deliver so an expression of anger very deeply felt anger that was the big well wasn't surprising really because for years one expected that but I guess uh, it was a moment where the ice broke and people across the country, across groups, you know, came in and came out as individuals. So it, it, it was huge. It's, it, I think it's, it's, it's a marking event in the life of this country. It's uh, really the coming together and this of the people. It's the end of the civil war. Okay. It's, it's a big in, in your, I mean, since your expertise is more on the on, on economics, of course, and and you you've written on crony capitalism and that subject, just just your maybe one or two uh, thoughts on this. Do, do you see this as just simply an outrage towards economic decline and corruption, or do you see this moment as unique in the last, let's say, three or four attempts at changing the way Lebanon? Is governed. Is is this something that stands out, as opposed to the you stink ro- a protest, as opposed to March 14, 15 years back? Yeah, I think so. I mean, March fourteen was was you know very much directed against the Syrian occupation and the assassination of of, of our prime minister, and so there was a very clear goal to get the, the Syrians out, and. You know, you think was not too different from this, but for various reasons, I think it didn't become a very broad movement. But it planted the seeds of what's coming on now. And 
terms of insecurity in the region and the fear yeah. uh, of, of, of chaos. Um, so what I heard people say now is, you know, very much economic, you know, the, the poverty. But the second uh, big message was the, the migration, you know, the, the, the exodus of the youth. Uh, and 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 the kind of so the subliminal message was that we could do much better as a country. We're way beyond, below our mean. We could live here. We could build the economy if we had a better system. Uh, and so this leads and led, maybe by the third day, to a total rejection of the system. As people heard that you know, this criticism is, is across the country and is a uniting slogan. Uh, in terms of the solution, the message is less clear. I mean, this is going to take more than just the streets. You know, some are calling for a strong government, strong ruler, the army, technocrats. Others are calling for 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 democracy, non-sectarian democracy. And so, you know, I think there is a road to travel before one can get to solutions. But you know, obviously, we're stuck somewhere else now. We're stuck. Uh, with where it was expected that we'll get stuck at some point, which is that you know, at the end, Hezbollah holds the, the real effective power and, uh, and change doesn't interest them right now. And of course, what's striking is, is, is to follow in parallel what's happening in Baghdad, which has a great influence on what's happening in Lebanon right now. Which is that uh, you know the, the, the Iranian dominance is, is weakening there as well. Uh, can I can I maybe gauge your mind on on this issue that we have a protest that erupted? I mean, the, the trigger is not the real core of the problem. I mean, this tax on WhatsApp clearly is not what drove people to the street. It's years and years of mismanagement, corruption. And a number of things where Lebanon simply doesn't work. And I wanted to ask you if something like Hezbollah in Lebanon, is it possible to seek true reform? Or even for that matter, what you were suggesting, which is this uh, genuine sentiment that there should be a change of not just regime, but the way Lebanon is governed itself, whether it's secular or, or otherwise. Do you think any of these, any of these goals are achievable? so long as something like Hezbollah exists in Lebanon? Uh, frankly, I don't know. That's the million-dollar question. But it's not impossible. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, if we want to you know, spend a few minutes on, on, on why the system, why this confessional system with confessional oligarchs uh, doesn't work, it's never worked very well, I mean. Uh, and it's never and worked even e- even before Hezbollah was even born. I mean, it's been, uh, and you've written eloquently on that subject, that it's something that goes back to the early days of Lebanon's history. Well, I mean, it's, it's probably more uh, gradated than that. There, there were various periods, right, in Lebanon's history, but if we focus on after the Civil War, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the 90s, yeah. Uh, uh, moving till now, you know, it, it hasn't worked in the sense that 
clientelism, uh, fear mongering against the other uh, has its limits. You know, initially, a lot of the the cost of this misgovernance fell on the state, you know, spending by the state, the various funds and the like, uh, mm -hmm. construction contracts going to cronies and the like. So a lot of the, the weight of this inefficiency fell on the state. Uh, and then over time, when the state had less means because of the growing debt and all that, you know, more of it was more of, 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 of the financing of power, more of the rent collection went through the private sector, which became more monopolized by cronies, more, more uh, you know, less efficient, more of the credit went through, through cronies, so, so it affected growth. But, but really, where the system started misfunctioning big time is around 2012, when uh, the events in Syria obliged, in a sense, all the parties to become part of this national pact. Uh, and, and, and then, of course, the, the, the oil crisis of 2015. Sorry, just to, just to interrupt, so you mean in 2012, what, what changed exactly, that the Hezbollah itself became part of the infrastructure, or did I misunderstand that? Well, I mean, remember, we started talking of, of the, 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 the veto by the, by the third. Yes, yes, yeah. The, the Moabil. And uh -huh. so, so basically, no decisions could be made without the, the three or four vetoing parties accepting the decisions. Right, right. So mm -hmm. increasingly, the government became incapable of making decisions. Um, and, and then this, this came to a head. Uh, with the election of, of the president, which took two years, where major decisions could not be made, and then the formation of a government that took a good year as well, or right. so, right. uh, and leading to this government that was really unable to make any decision. The big question in the past three years was, you know, why uh, is this coalition stopping any stabilization? The financials, the economics, and the financial situation was clearly leading the country into a war, and yeah. yet no decisions could be made. Now, of course, under the pressure of the street, all decisions were taken in 72 hours. But then <laughs> you know, one wonders about the credibility of being able to, uh, to deliver on those. Uh, we can talk of this program if we want. Uh, there are other weaknesses in this program, but there are lots of good intentions, you know. Let me ask you though, in terms of in terms of just let's say the 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 sentiment of of accountability, and people that want leadership that's held to account, whether it's political, economic, or or anything, do you think it's too late for the current leadership, which are of course the product of decades now of the post-war order, even even if uh, genuine attempts are being made now, and let's let's assume that there is genuine interest by the ruling establishment now in Lebanon to see an economy that does not stutter and collapse, that actually sees something work. Do you think it's too late for whether it's Hadidi or, or anyone else in, in the current state to actually succeed and bring protesters some sort of sense of accomplishment? I think it's one scenario among others. Mm -hmm. The the difficulty of the moment 
that there are scenarios that would work. Yeah. Is that uh, the difficulties of the moment? Is that uh, or are that we have a social crisis and a political crisis, but we also have a financial crisis on our hands? Yeah. The banks are closed for the whatever nine days now, and uh, I don't know if they will be able to open before something credible is on the table. And credible now means financial and social. But you can't tax the people anymore. You have big deficits, you have big debts that you need to refinance. Uh, the debt is unsustainable. Everybody's known that for a while. The banks are few, they can cooperate, you know. They can cooperate in ensuring that the Ponzi scheme, scheme doesn't explode in their face now. Yeah. But the depositors in those banks know what's going on now. And the fear is if you reopen the banks in a few days, there will be a run on the banks and the system would collapse. Right. And if you don't open the banks, you, there could be a, they're, they're likely to be, if things are like that, a run on the lira and the, the lira would collapse. Yeah. And that would add to the social unrest. So we're at a very difficult time. We're truly in a very deep crisis. And so one could think of kind of medium-term scenarios that trajectories that work, but we first have to survive the next few days and weeks without, I mean, if we get a financial explosion, how would that feed now into what's happening in the street and how would what's happening on the street feed into the Hezbollah threat of taking over, of yeah. civil war, of the army collapsing? We are at a very, very dangerous moment. And in, in that sense, because things are very critical right now, is is it, I mean, and I, with maybe some perspective here, is is it even, if if the protesters achieve in, in bringing the prime minister to resign, and if you see some, some movement on that front, in your opinion, and I don't want to be too pessimistic here, but is it is it too late to avoid a crash? In other words, is the crash coming with or without leadership removal or reform? Is it simply too late that, that Lebanon is going to have a very difficult, painful economic future? You know, it's late, but it's not too late. Mm -hmm. And the reason it's not too late is that a lot of people, powerful people, parties, have skin in this game. And so they are looking for a solution. So meaning, meaning the money, the money is still in the in the hands of this ruling. No, no. no. I'm no. explain. Hmm. Uh, the, the worst scenario is that of a financial crisis that's uncontrolled, a bank run, a run on the lira. Yeah. Because then the things overshoot. The financing system collapses. Uh, you know, it's a heart attack. Yeah. That can be avoided with some painful decisions, uh, either on, on the flow, which is what the Hariri program is proposing now. You know, we will save money, we will improve the financial situation in, in 2019 or 2020. Yeah. Or it may have to go further than that to basically distribute the losses more broadly. 
And that that means among the ba the banking sector and and other institutions, or is that uh, even? I mean, let me take a caricatural example, just yeah. to give you a sense. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the the problem is caused by by the huge public debt of eighty plus billion dollars. Yes. Uh, let's say you you there is a decision taken to to cancel fifty billion dollars of the debts. Mm -hmm. And then the question becomes how to distribute the losses. Right. There is a very large deposit base in Lebanon, $150 billion in deposits in mm -hmm. banks. Mm -hmm. There is $20 billion of equity in those banks. Mm -hmm. So there's a very large tax base to distribute these losses on. And there are, and, and the accounts are concentrated. I mean, it is said, uh, I don't know if it's true, that have the deposit are owned by 1% of the depositors. So you could tax those. I see. You could close all banks and do a Cypress type solution. You know, every $100 of deposit, you take out 40 as losses. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and that's it. Or you give them a very long term bond, call it a Lebanese bond, you know, with some upside potential. So, you know, some financial engineer to distribute the losses. Yeah. That's that's a managed bankruptcy as opposed to a financial explosion. Right. That ensures that those with the big accounts end up with something as opposed to nothing. So, or as opposed to very little if the banking sector collapses. Because remember, the banking sector also has lent money to the private sector. And all those loans would not be collected if there is a huge devaluation. Uh, you know, many firms will go bankrupt. Many of these loans will become non-recoverable. So there is still, uh, and you may not need to go that far. I gave you an extreme scenario, mm -hmm. but I'm saying you know there are some people with with big interests that still have an interest in finding solutions. They they they, they haven't gone as far as they can go yet. And measures like this could satisfy the street, you know. But on the other hand, we could have other type of measures, you know, populist measures to put people in jail. We saw, we saw what, what, we saw what looked like a potential hint of that. I think it was my, my sense of time has shifted during this <laughs> uprising. I think it was two two days ago, if I'm not mistaken, where we saw images of Najib Miati on the defensive. And being mm -hmm. accused of things—is that the kind of populist uh, repercussions you're referring to, where you see yeah. some symbolic yeah. sort of uh, punishment here and there? Right. It may even be useful politically. I mean, uh -huh. the cost of governance is very high. You, the, the, the powerful parties can try to reduce the coalition by eliminating some parties that are, you know, claiming also parts of the rent for their own clientelistic purposes. So there could be kind of short-term political motives there as well. Uh, a bit like the Algerian situation. I mean, in a way, we, we are between an Algerian and a Sudanese situation right now, right? Uh, where hmm. the, the, the ruling elites, let's say, in Algeria are trying to satisfy the people with uh, these symbolic measures. Right. And the people are refusing to get organized and to negotiate, saying these are our minimum demands. You know, the system is must be out. Yes. Versus 
uh, Sudanese situation where the economy has collapsed so much that the parties become bound to negotiate a solution to stabilize things so that they can start increasing the size of the, of the pie again. And so you had the democratic movement enter into a power-sharing arrangement <laughs> with an army that they wanted to displace. Right, right. Uh, into a three-year trans- very uncertain transition because the situation has become just unbearable. And we're somewhere between these two. Now, here. let me ask you, and this is, of course, subjective opinion, The this kind of managed bankruptcy, which in, in light of what's happening, seems like a fairly optimistic view. I mean, that would be a, perhaps the ideal situation, that it's a, it's, it's not a crash, in a sense, it's a crash landing. Uh, in, in your opinion, given what is happening, do you see that the current regime are they capable of, of enacting that kind of situation? Or does this require really a fresh slate where a bunch of independents or technocrats or maybe, just in other words, a new regime is put in to manage that bankruptcy? Right. Yeah. In an ideal world, you would prefer another regime mm-hmm. implementing these reforms. And they are not reforms. We're talking of, of, of financial... Uh, restructurings. Yeah. Right? I mean, the reform is something that takes years and that will not happen in a few months. Independent justice, transparency, uh, resolution of the ETL crisis, electricity du Liban, and, and others. Things that have to be done and that are largely in uh, Hariri's plan mm-hmm. will take several months and years, so they could be started by this government and completed by others. Um, but I mean, in the medium term, you would need a governance system. I mean, people speak a lot about corruption in the sense of people stealing millions and billions and 800 billions abroad and the like. Mm. I think all this is an exaggeration. You know, like we've seen in Tunisia and Egypt before, surely some people are stealing money. There's some, you know, the rich have money abroad. There's no question about that. But a lot of what's driving this corruption is clientelism. It's the people that are not on the street now that are benefiting from that. Right, right. It's those that go to vote and the Shabiha and, and those that, that kind of are the muscle behind this communal system. So, you know, hopefully this will change. And until this changes, I doubt that Lebanon would manage to achieve its potential. And, and this is a tragedy because we all know Lebanon has a great potential. It could be, you know, a powerful, vibrant country, a, a great example of of of, of inclusion and of existence and, and all of that. Can I, but can let's not get into this. So well, that wasn't the question, by the way. This no, one, but that that's actually maybe that's. I do want to answer your question. No, but that's that's maybe a nice uh, way to to wrap the conversation. Uh, and I know that we'll definitely carry on in another time when we both have more time to get into the other subjects, which I really want to talk to you about. We'll leave those for another episode. But just your perspective as as someone who who cares about this country, who's abroad, and watching what is a very volatile situation, do you deep down believe that this kind of moment 
will bring in a new way of governance. Whether or not it's a new form of power sharing or whether or not it's a truly secular state. And if that moment does achieve something like a secular state or something close to it, is there any way to actually allay the fears that have become psychologically embedded within communities in Lebanon? Is that something that's even possible in our lifetime, to actually have people trust the state as opposed to their own communal leadership? I think that's a that's a great way to keep optimism alive, and we will get into the other subjects the next time we talk. In the meantime, though, uh, I highly recommend Crony Capitalism in the Middle East, a, a book that you edited and you're, you contributed to. There's also a previous book, Understanding the Political Economy of the Arab Uprisings. Both, I think, are in a way serve as the political economic backdrop to what led us to this moment. And uh, I really appreciate your time. And thank you so much, Ishaq. Thanks, Ronnie. Good to meet you. Inshallah, Ali. And there's much more to talk about when it comes to crony capitalism and the general Lebanese economy that emerged after the civil war ended. And we will have a longer episode with Ishaq Diwan at a later point. And I'm doing my best to release these episodes as quickly as possible as the uprising continues into its 10th day. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe through your preferred podcast platform. We're on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, you name it. Or search for us on YouTube. You'll find us there as well. Until next time. I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Manion.